The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. You're going to want to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And uh, as you're opening there, I want you to imagine a hardened, sun-scorched island filled with convicts. Not Australia, okay? (laughs) People banished there to harsh conditions and cut off from the world. This is where the writer of Revelation met with Jesus. And this is slightly different than sort of modern day what I see, quiet time with Jesus, the Instagram-worthy picture of the coffee, and then the Bible and the overlay of the scripture, which looks beautiful. Keep it up. I love it. But that's not what we're talking about where John was meeting with Jesus. The author of Revelation was cast away to Patmos after a failed attempt to kill him simply because he preached the good news of Jesus Christ. Somewhere in his 90s, what a sweet retirement, right? With what physical life remained, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, had what was arguably the most powerful encounter with the living God that he had had since he first met Jesus on the shores of his hometown. The place where Jesus gave him and gives each one of us today the same invitation, come, follow me is what Jesus said to John. Well, now with a little power left, having kept the word of God and holding fast to the name of Jesus Christ, even when he was faced with death, John had an incredible quiet time with God and so penned the words of revelation. That's what we're gonna read through today. And I wanna focus in on main point that you're gonna see in this chapter, chapter three. Keeping and holding fast to the word of God keeping and holding fast to the word of God. Psalm 119, beautiful psalm, long psalm, talks all about the word of God. In the second verse, it says, blessed are those who keep God's testimonies, who seek them with their whole heart. And that psalm goes on to talk about the word and the love of God, saying that it's better than riches, It's finer than delicacies, and it's better than life itself. Is this what my life is testifying? That this word of God is better than riches, is finer than delicacies, and is better than life itself? Is that what my schedule says about the word of God? Is that what my devotion, my wholehearted seeking God says about him? Or does it say something else? In whatever camp you're in today, it's a good day to hear the word of the Lord because we're going to talk about keeping and holding fast to this word of God. And my hope is that if you find yourself lacking in that area by the grace of God, he's going to set you free today and you're going to fall in love with the word that he's given us, that he's died to preserve and bring to us. And if you find yourself in this just like sweet track, this, this fast track of running after God, that you'd run even harder today. Well, the series we're going through right now is called The Seven Churches of Revelation. 
These were letters written in first century AD. Today, that land where these letters were delivered is modern day Turkey. It's mostly Muslim occupied territory. My neighbor who identifies as Muslim would vouch for that. She just went there and buried her mother there. They're both Muslim. Well, I came across a story recently about a, a pastor, modern day pastor, alive and well today in that land. He's a pastor of a reformed church and his name's Fikret. Well, he planted a church in what's called Izmir, which is the ancient city of Smyrna. If you remember a few weeks back, we went over the letter to Smyrna. He grew up Muslim until, funny enough, he saw the movie Ben-Hur, and it sparked a little bit of curiosity about God. Then he came across some travelers from America who shared the gospel with him, and out of all places, they started with the book of Genesis. you think they would have started with the Gospel of John, but here, Fikret, who is now at this point Muslim, said, I didn't know there was a Bible outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they said, oh yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a whole Old Testament, which paves the way for the New Testament. He says, well, can you summarize some of the Old Testament? And he says, what I didn't know is that they were going to read word for word through Genesis <laughs> and share with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I believe right then and there, it planted a little gospel seed in him that he couldn't get out of his heart. He said many times he tried to get away from the Bible because he knew how costly it would be to his own well-being. But he could not turn away from Jesus against all the pressure he was facing. He ended up attending an underground Turkish church. And amazingly, he was able to fly over to the States and go to Westminster Seminary in California. Well, he got nice and feeling good out here, got some good theology in him, and he was excited about Jesus. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to go back to your homeland and plant a church. And that's what he's doing today. Well, he had a small church that was beginning to grow a little bit. They're doing Bible studies and all that. And they were invited to another person's house for dinner one night. What, what they didn't know is that the person who invited over them was pretending to be a Christian, was actually an informant. And so they were brought into an interrogation. And they basically said, you deny Christ or we will ruin your life. Well, he wasn't surprised when what they found out was the informant went up there and denied Christ easily. He was a phony. He said he was surprised, though, when the Bible study leader denied Christ. He was also equally shocked when a new convert from a week ago gave his life to Jesus, held fast, kept the word of God. And now he is faced with this dilemma, one of the last ones to come up to the plate. He steps up and he felt in his heart, oh God, I hope I don't deny your name. I hope I hold fast. He said it was the fear of pain, persecution, losing his own life, which gripped his heart. But just as he went up there and they said, here's your opportunity to deny Christ, he said he felt a hand come over his mouth and cover it to which he looked around and nobody was standing there. It was the spirit of God, the spirit of the living Christ, Jesus, who put a hand over his mouth and said, you're not talking today. You're gonna keep the word of God. You're gonna hold fast because I'm keeping you and holding fast to you. He said when he was in prison and he was beaten for the gospel, he said it was the best seminary experience he could have. Because when he was released, he had this new boldness about him, which you think that's antithetical 
But he had this new boldness about him where he no longer feared man, he only feared God. And he began to tell everyone about Christ. And so now his church meets in a storefront building in Izmir, right next to the ports where all the cruise lines come, and they have all sorts of people coming there hearing the gospel to this day. Amen? Amen. That's good. So we want to keep the word of God, hold fast to it. With your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to get there in a moment, but let me just say one more word to kind of set us up for what we're going to read. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says this. This revelation we're reading is the revealing of Jesus Christ. This whole book, let me show you who the Son of God is and why that matters for the day that you're living in. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh, as we sang about earlier. And the greatest revelation you could ever have, or your neighbor, or your coworker, anybody you come across can have in this life, is the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen? When we went out this last week, there's four brothers from this church that went out downtown, just two blocks from the Alamo. We shared the gospel with people. We prayed over people, and we took those bold and awkward steps of, do you know about Jesus? This might have been a tourist, might have been a local, whoever came across, whoever God led us to. One of the guys, we were on our way back to the car, and there was just this little prick that said, stop and talk to this guy. He was so ready to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here were his words after he gave his life to Jesus this last Saturday. He said, I feel like for the first time in my life, I can finally breathe. And he said, thank you for stopping. You don't know this, but before you stopped, I was afraid, I was worried, and I was wondering, what am I going to do with my life? Here's Jesus. What a time. We had no idea, but that's God. Amen. He's incredible. Simple timeline of Revelation, and I promise we're getting into this text right after this. Simple timeline, it begins with seven, seven ancient churches, first century AD. It ends with the return of Jesus in literally God knows when. And somewhere in between that timeline, is you and I living in what the Bible calls the last days. This book is to prepare us for the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7, the word of God says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. The recipient of this letter written from Jesus is the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Well, the angel means messenger. Typically, we think about them as heavenly beings. We have reason to believe that this is probably the pastor or elder and or elders of this church that's receiving this letter. It's written to Philadelphia, as we said. It was a small but important city. It was known as the gateway to the east. It was where the Greeks were hoping to kind of expand their culture out eastward. It was also became, to know, became known as Little Athens because they had many gods, many temples, and many truths in this place. Jesus cuts through the noise, and he says, I'm the holy one, I'm the true one. 
tell that to Philadelphia. Holy means set apart, sacred. It reminds me in some strange way of when my wife makes food for one of you because she sets it apart, she writes your name on it, and she says, you better not touch this. And it becomes sacred in that moment. It's almost as if it's the Ark of the Covenant itself because the moment I touch it, I'm a dead man. God is holy. He's set apart. He's sacred. It also reminds me of in the Old Testament when you see the word Yahweh there, which is actually four Hebrew letters just smashed together. It's not a full word. It's not a full Hebrew word. The reason why is because they believed that his name was too holy to speak or to write down. So we have Yahweh, which is four Hebrew letters smashed together. John chapter 11, Jesus says this, myself, and the Father are one. Myself and the Father are one. Jesus, being God in the flesh, is holy. And if you want to know more about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, two weeks from now, 8.30, coffee, you remember. <laughs> Seminar on the Trinity. Revelation 1.17. John says this. Chapter 1.17. You can write it down if you're taking notes. John says this. When I saw Jesus... I fell on the floor like I was a dead man. That's how commanding the holy presence of Jesus was. Thank God, the God of the Bible is quick to mercy. He deals in grace. And so he put his right hand on John and said, you're about to die. No, he didn't say that. He said, <laughs> put his right hand on John and he said, fear not, fear not. I love that. I love that about our God. Jesus in the book of Revelation is described as the beginning and the end. Who, the one who came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again to new life. King of kings, Lord of lords, worshipped by innumerable masses, commands angel armies. He announces a millennia or millennia in advance that guess what? I'm coming back and I already have the victory. So he defeats darkness, not because it was just sort of a mishap or just worked that way, but no, because for millennia, he declared, I've already overcome. Amen. The moment we messed it up, Genesis 3, he already says, I'm already bringing somebody who's going to wrap this thing up, Jesus. He's the Holy One from before time. There's only one word repeated three times back to back to back in all of Scripture, and it's attributed to God, Holy Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, they, the created beings in heaven, do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, of, the Lord God. He's set apart, he's sacred, he's the holy one. So if he's holy, it should follow that he's true. If, if what I just said was true about God, declared in his scriptures, then we can trust if he's holy, then he's true. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.16 in the New Testament says, If you turn to Jesus, there will be a veil removed from your eyes. And finally, for the first time, I can breathe in truth. Which is what happened to our young brother on the streets of San Antonio the other day. For the first time, you're seeing truth. 
In the book of Acts, there was a girl named Lydia who was listening to the apostles, the disciples who had seen the risen Christ. And they're speaking this word of God. They're sharing the gospel about this risen Jesus. And Lydia, as she's out in the crowd, she's just a merchant who just, what's going on here? Just listen, listen. She's listening in. And as she listened, it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. That's what truth does. That's what Jesus, the way, the truth, the life does. When you hear his words and you have open ears and you just say, what is that? God can open your heart to receive something that prior to that, you had no idea. And it changes everything. I used to lead a Bible club on a campus when we were, uh, when we were in California. And the Bible club was hosted by a teacher who was uh, a math teacher who was an atheist. And he opened up the doors of his room in an experiment in religious freedom. And so as he's saying, I don't believe in all this stuff, but y'all can do your thing. He was sitting at his desk and he was working and they're preaching about Jesus. And he said, over time, he went from really working to pretending like he was working and really listening And I think the pastor at the time caught it and said, you know, you can come on over here and and join us if you like. And he took him up on that offer. And I was fortunate enough to be in the club when he gave his life to Christ. Because the truth was making a new home in him. I love that. Praise God. Philadelphia, many gods, many temples, many truths. Today, new age on the rise. Can't tell me how many times I hear now today, wow, you've got an energy. (laughs) Let me tell you what that energy is. The age of tolerance, my truth versus your truth, what does it matter? We're all true. It's not right. It's not right because obviously you walk down that line long enough, you know there's contradictory truths. There's a reason why there's a division between my house and your house. That line is true. If you cross it, I don't go, hey, my land, your land, what does it matter? Right now I'm renting, so I can't say that. (laughs) When I buy a home, rest assured, my land is my land. I paid for it with good money. And God feels the same way about his thoughts and his ways. Isaiah 55, 8 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And again, as we said, John chapter 14, 6 God's sending his word. Jesus says, I'm the truth. There's no other truth. And so when we're keeping God's word, when we're holding fast to Jesus, know that Jesus didn't come to suffer and die so that we could have options. He willingly gave his life because he is your only solution. He is the truth who wants to be your truth. And one day, all of us are going to find out when we get there, whether we're right or wrong, what, what side of Christ we're standing on, we're going to find out that there's one holy God, one true God, and every knee will bow. He says here in verse 7, I'm the holy one, the true one who has the key of David. And when I think about David, I think about musician, warrior, king. But I think less about musician. I think a little less about warrior. And I think mostly about king. 
because that was his main role in the Bible. He was an Old Testament king. When Jesus is saying the key of David, I believe he's talking to the kingship of David, and this key is really talking about a kingdom. Although not the kingdom on earth, the kingdom that Jesus ushered in with his gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 22, again, if you're taking notes, points us back to an Old Testament allusion to what's going on here, the key of David. And I'm going to spare you the story, Isaiah 22. You can look it up later, but let me give you a little bit of context for what's going on. It points to these two royal stewards in the house of the king. One was evil. (laughs) God pulled them up and threw them away violently. The other one was righteous. God promoted him. You're the new royal steward of the house. Well, the chief royal steward had a master key of the palace, and this key was the visible and tangible authority from the king, giving access to every door in the kingdom. You want to get a tour of the royal palace? Look for the chief royal steward. What Jesus is saying here, you want to get a tour of heaven, you want to be welcomed in to my kingdom, you've got to go through me. I have the key of David. John chapter 14, Jesus is encouraging his followers, his disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't freak out, guys. That's what he's saying. Don't freak out. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I and the Father are one, remember? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. What is he talking about? Kingdom, a palace, many rooms. He says here, I go with the key and prepare a place for you, because I'm the only one who's going to give you access. Well, let's let that thought travel us back to Philly here in verse 8. Jesus says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. There's that key coming into play, right? Which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Verse 9, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. I want to focus in on what's happening in these couple of verses, because now we've started out with this beautiful description of who Jesus is, the access he has to heaven, these wonderful promises, but here on earth addressing this very real church and addressing us today by proxy, he's saying, I see the pressure that you're under. I get in your life, you are weighed down by things, and it's a very specific thing here, and let me get into what's going on. The book of Acts, which is the story of the birth of the early church, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God promises the the, the Holy Spirit's going to come down, and he's going to empower his gospel in gathering. That's what they did. They're all gathered. Here comes the Spirit of God, empowers them for the gospel proclamation. That's Acts 1, 8. You flip those two numbers, Acts 8, 1, now you see the power of the gospel going out by scattering And they did this because the church came under pressure. It was no longer safe for people to stay in Jerusalem, so they had to go to the ends of the earth and bring this life-saving message we're sharing about today. Acts 1-8, power comes down to gather. Acts 8-1, power goes out to scatter 
the result of gathering and scattering at Stone Oak, we like to say, results in gospel multiplication. You ever led someone to Jesus before? You don't have to raise your hand. Somebody led you to Jesus. If you get a little taste of what it's like, oh Lord, give me the grace. Give me an opportunity to lead one to Jesus. And it's, mm, it, it's not even about you. It's about what Christ is doing through you. Do you know that the spirit of God in you wants that person in front of you to know Jesus more than you do? And once you get a taste of that and you see someone go, oh, and come under this gospel and they're freed from their sin, it's like nothing else. The result of gathering together as a church and scattering out to the city is gospel multiplication. But because there's no Switzerland in the spiritual realm, there's no neutral zone. The gospel can advance, but the gospel, gospel can also be attacked. You get that? The gospel advances, but the gospel can also be attacked. And so in Philadelphia's neighborhood, in their backyard, they had this little lovely church, the SOS church. What does that stand for? Strength of Savior? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Synagogue of Satan. That's what it was. Yeah. They weren't a friendly church. They were a church that was led by Satan. They were a church that was putting so much pressure on these Christians that were living in Philadelphia. In fact, here's what they did. They locked the door on them. They actually locked the door of the synagogue and said, you are no longer welcome here. That means they were, they were cut off from their family and they were cut off from their friends because they chose Jesus. They held fast and kept his word. Well, they also erased their names from a ledger. They have a little name of all the Jewish people in the town. The Christians, yeah, you were Jews before, but you, you sold out. Now you're a Christian. Erase the name. Now they are subject to Caesar's threats. Because the only reason the Jews didn't have to bow down and worship Caesar is because they got a religious exemption. So once you're kicked out of the synagogue, you have no covering. Now if you don't bow to Caesar, who are you going to hold to? You got to hold to Jesus. You got to keep to his word. That's the only thing they had. Because the synagogue of Satan was keeping them out. Well, God's word will always make a way in our life. Amen. I don't know what that's going to look like in your life, but he'll always make a way one way or another. They're facing the pressure, but in these verses, chapter, or verse 8 and verse 9, he says, behold, three times. Behold is another way of saying, you better listen up. You better look with both eyes, because I'm about to show you something that is really going on. There's the surface level reality, but there's a deeper reality that God can show us in his word provides that view. And in this verse, let's read them again. These verses, here's what he says. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have a little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Does that read a little different when you see the emphasis? Behold, behold, behold. Get your eyes off of you. Put your eyes on Jesus. He will give you a better revelation of what's really going on. Yes. 
I'm telling you, it's a revelation of hope. It's a revelation of faith. It's a revelation of love. The greatest of these things, love. Faith, hope, love. The greatest, love. I will make, I have set my word, my name, I have loved the SOS church, those great community helpers, right? I know they've locked the door on you. I know they've erased your name. But since you have kept my word, you've held fast to me, there's an open door in my house. God says, you have a new name written in my book. And watch verse 10, how this unfolds. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Well, what trial is he talking about here? Not 100% sure. We have theories. We have healthy debates about this within the Christian faith, and that's fine. You might come to a different conclusion than somebody else. That's okay. What trial? It doesn't say specifically. When you read the Revelation, you might get more insight on what's going on here. But here we know from this verse, it was imminent, it was coming, it was global, and it's going to rattle people. Could it have been for Philadelphia right here, the fact that Nero was going to be an emperor and start to set Christians ablaze and kill them left and right like it's going out of style? Could have been. Could have been that. Again, I'm not going to peg my whole theology on, on that idea, but could have been. Here's what we know, though. Philadelphia was protected from this because they kept the word of God and held fast to Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, what about Smyrna? And what about the pastor that you shared in the beginning from Smyrna? He was imprisoned and beaten. Yeah, I know. God may not save us from every fiery trial. He may allow us to walk through the fire, but as I said here, a moment ago, if God is with you, who can be against you? Amen. Right? Amen. That's what he's trying to get to. When you're holding fast to my word, you're, you're, you're holding fast to me, here's what you get. As you walk through the fire, there's another in the fire with you. I'm telling you from personal experience, from following Jesus for long enough to know there's nothing better than that. It totally, even if my situation doesn't change, the fact that my God is with me changes everything. Earlier today, we had a brother share here, we need to get our focus right. And I'll tell you, earlier in the summer, my focus was not right, and God showed me. And I was, I was overwhelmed, I was stressed, I moved to a new city, and all this new stuff, new people, and it was a lot, it was a lot to take in. I had to get my focus right. And when I did, it's interesting, because nothing changed circumstantially, except everything changed within my perspective. Because I was beginning to focus more on God and less on all this stuff he's calling me to. Good stuff. Good stuff. But still, focus on the word of God. Hold fast to Jesus. Uh, verse 11 here. He says, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Before he presented a door to them. This door, we said, was the key to the kingdom. It's salvation. How do you get into heaven? There's no other way to get into heaven unless you call on the name of Jesus. Amen. That's the only way. If you would bow your life before him and say, I'm not enough, but you are. 
The fact that you came in complete perfection, bringing heaven down to earth, and you lived a perfect life, died, buried my sin in the grave, and rose again so that I don't have to carry it there myself, that's enough. God, come in flesh. What more could you need? What more would we ask for? If Jesus isn't enough, nothing is. Nothing is. That's the gospel. That's the open door. That's the thing that comes by grace. You don't work for it. You don't achieve it because you're a good person. You're smart enough. You've got enough accolades. You're successful enough. Your house is big. None of that matters. The only thing that matters when you get to face God personally is did you accept Jesus? Did you bring him in and say, he's my savior. I follow him and his grace covers me. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for the accuser who accuses us day and night and says, you're not good enough. You're nothing. God's forgotten you. All those things we hear all the time. I can't wait for that day for Jesus to step down face to face and go, I told you I was true. And we go, I'm glad I kept it. I'm glad I held fast. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. Don't hear me wrong. I'm just talking about holding fast to a confidence and who he is and what he said. There's a door, the gift of salvation. But here in verse 11, he said, hey, hold fast so that nobody seizes your crown. What's this crown? The door can't be open or shut by anybody else, but the crown could be seized by somebody. What's going on here? Well, if the door was salvation, I believe the crown points us to the fullness of living in Christ. Remember Jesus said, I came that they might have life and life to the full, but there's a thief that can rob, he can steal, he can kill, he can destroy. Many Christians go through some of those things by walking away from Christ and their life gets destroyed. We've seen it in our own church and it's unfortunate and we weep over the destruction that even a Christian household could allow in by not keeping the word of God, not holding fast to Christ. Don't let anybody seize your crown. Hold fast. And I'm going to give you a ridiculous example. Not too long ago, I bought my first smoker. <laughs> and yes, I smoked this juicy 10-pound pork shoulder. The door was the fact that I already had the barbecue. It's there. It's good. Not a great analogy, but go with me. I have it already. The crown is that 10 hours of work I put into it. I woke up early for it. I prepped it. I checked on it. I mopped that thing. And we together savored it. The fullness of salvation. Okay, now I'm going too far. The fullness of this pork shoulder. The flavor of it, right? I believe that's what this crown is talking about. You see, you can be saved by Jesus, by his grace, amen, hallelujah, you didn't do it, don't boast about it, don't take any credit for it, give all the glory to God. But you can daily walk with him, as he said, John chapter 15, you can write it in your notes, John 15, and you see what happens from staying vitally connected to him, step in step, hand in hand. Same example could be used, and this is a great one, my marriage, and my kids. I have a marriage. I am a father. That's the door. 
If I keep and hold fast to that marriage and that family, there's the fullness of joy that comes in to the Hody home. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus. You could have salvation, but when you keep the word, what does that mean? You're taking time to observe it. You're taking time to be in it. You're taking time to meditate on these scriptures. You're spending time with him in his word. And then that's going to allow you, through the empowerment of his spirit in this word, working through you, it's going to empower you to hold fast to Jesus throughout the day. And when that happens, you start, as we said last week, wake up. You start waking up. (gasps) Wow. I don't know why I'm waking up a little bit more joyful. My job still sucks, but my God is good. Amen. It, 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 I'm telling you, this, this is the way to live in Christ. Keep his word, hold fast to Jesus. Fullness of Christ, we know, is not happily ever after yet. We see that in Philadelphia. Remember our good old friends, SOS Church, that needs help, Right? They locked the doors, they forgot their names, but yet here's this church under all that pressure, circumstance hasn't changed, but yet now they've got this little ember of light in this city, this little power that God goes, I'm gonna use that, I'm gonna bless that. And it's the same thing that said, God says to this church today, how he opens his book, Revelation, chapter one, verse three. He said, blessed is everyone who reads these words of this prophecy. And blessed are all those who hear these words of this prophecy. And get this, and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. If you heard nothing else from this morning, here's what I'd say. Keep the word of God, because it'll keep you. Hold fast to the person of Christ because he's already holding you, follower of Jesus. The caveat to that is if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, what would hold you back? I would just ask you that. What, what, it, what would you present as something, as all these words we shared this morning, what would you put up against God's word to say, nope, 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 this means more? Wrestle with that. Wrestle with God. Call on the name of Christ. You might be surprised. You turn to Christ, veil's removed. Now you're seeing differently. You're seeing him as he is. Spend quality time with God. Now I'm speaking to the church. When no one's looking, take your thoughts captive and submit them to Jesus. Talk to God throughout the day. Put on worship music and sing to him outside of church. Listen to scripture in the car when you're driving. Share the gospel with, with somebody you know and pray for them. Thank God the first thing when you wake up in the morning and last thing before you go to bed and pray your life would be an offering to God. And just see in a month's time, three months' time, six months, a year down the line, what Christ has done in you and your life. It's incredible the salvation that he does, the, the things that he does in our life if we only just hold fast to him and keep his word. All right, Revelation 12, uh, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, we'll round this out. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of my city, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. That's Revelation 21 and 22. And my own new name. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, we know that we can only conquer, Revelation tells us in chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, we can only conquer because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of that testimony. We, we only are, walk through this life spiritually successful in the sense of we've overcome the grave and sin and all that, right? The only way we do that is because the blood of Jesus covers our life. He totally sets us free from us, forgives us completely, complete package, and then we give word to that testimony. Say, if you see anything new in me, it's because of Jesus. If you see anything worthy of praise in my life, it's because of what he already did. If I'm working for this thing, it's because the work has already been finished 2,000 years ago on a cross. When Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. Now I just get to live this thing out. Jesus calls it again, remaining in him, John 15. I'll point you back there again. And notice the promise he gives to those redeemed saints, those followers of Jesus. You will be a pillar in my house. Remember, synagogue of Satan, they locked the doors, they erased the ledger, you're no longer welcome here. Now God in his own house says, for you who bow before the name of Jesus Christ and declare him as your Lord. He calls the shots, your savior. He's the one that saved you. Now you give your life to him. You follow him. That person who's decided that right there, he says, you will be a pillar in my house. The amazing thing about, if you were to go to now modern day Turkey and go to the site of Philadelphia, is that the ruins from somewhere around the 7th century B.C. are three giant pillars. That's all that's left of it. Three giant pillars. And guess what those pillars were? They were the remains of St. John's Church. Isn't that kind of fun? I mean, the writer of the book of Revelation, who's thinking, it's almost like God gave him a little wink. It's like, down, I'm going to look down the corridor of time, and this thing's going to come true in a way that maybe nobody expected. It's amazing. Look it up. Church, ancient church of, ancient city of Philadelphia. See those giant pillars there. And I just think they're a little testament for us today to say, come on, this is it. This is the word of God. It's the unfading, wonderful word of God. This is Jesus. This is the one who's come. This is the one who's here now. And this is the one who will be here after we're gone. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you.